I want to thank you again for giving us a chance to be here. And um, you have to excuse me. You know, English is my third language. Sometimes, you know, when I go to churches, I, you know, it's, I wish I can preach in my own language. You know, it's, you know, the thoughts come to your mind. You have to interpret them in your head. Then really, you know, communicate. And it's, sometimes it's difficult. So, but I will try to speak, you know, the things that are, that are on my heart. And um, I really believe, you know, that uh, the Lord is going to be with us, you know, in his word. Two years ago, we had Franklin Graham with us in Georgia, and um, I was interpreting for him. We rented a venue for him that sits about 10,000 people, and, uh, but there was a mysterious fire in the building. I'm going to come down, you know. <laughs> we had some kind of mysterious fire in the building, so we had to cancel the event, the venue could hold 10,000 people. So when we spoke with Franklin Graham and said, you know, that, well, they, we cannot have venue, they started the fire there. He looked at us and said, I didn't come all the way from America to cancel it. I said, I cannot let the devil win. So we found a place, and the place was at our church, actually. We rented 5,000 chairs. We hosted 15,000 people. 1,500 people gave their hearts to Jesus. And we had a... It was wonderful. The reason why I'm saying this is this. I remember... I could go in his room before the service because we were going to go through the sermon that he was going to preach that evening. And we would go through the sermon that he was going to preach. And I remember the second day, we were going through a sermon. And he looked at me and he said, he says, remember this. He said, I, I, I learned this from my father. And you need to remember this. And this is what I, I say this to every church that I go to. Franklin Graham looked at me and said, he says, my father taught me and I'm teaching you, he says. I don't know how, but gospel works. The words of Jesus, they are spirit and it's life. And they can really, really, really change people's lives. You know, we're trying to do, you know, all kinds of things, you know, and, and there is nothing wrong with programs and this and that, but gospel works. Jesus died for us. And I remember this, you know, and, and, and it's so powerful for me because I hated Christians. I hated Pentecostals. I hated preachers. I never knew, you know, I was going to become one of them. But I don't know why I hated Christians and I hated preachers. The only reason why I went to church, I was a street kid. I used to steal, you know, you know run around, you know, with, with uh, I don't know, it's, we used to break in people's homes, you know, steal everything we could before I became a Christian. The only reason why I went to this Pentecostal church was to kick my brother out of there. You know, my brother called me and said, you know, that, well, I became a Pentecostal. I went to this Pentecostal church. And I said, you cannot be there. So the only reason why I went there was to kick him out. And for the first time ever, I listened to these words, you know, words of gospel, that Jesus died for your sins. And I remember the impact it had on my life. 
You know, I started to, I don't know, I, I feared God. You know, I couldn't wait for this second service to give my life to Jesus. And you should have seen church back then. It was only grandmas. It was a small church, grandmas, grandmas with no teeth. You know, it was, you know, it's a poor country. It's, well, it's developing now, you know, but back then we didn't have water, we didn't have electricity, you know, uh, 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 I mean, we had nothing. And you would go to this church and somehow you would become alive because they would speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I was there, you know, I don't know why every week, you know, something would draw me to these people, to these grandmas. I said, I, I, I was saying to myself, you are out of your mind. You've gone mad, you know, how can you go to these people? What do you have common with them? But I was so happy to go, with, you know, to them. Every morning there was a prayer group that started at 7 or 8 in the morning. And every day I was there at 7 or 8 in the morning. And our prayer groups would go for hours. You know, you would be on your knees for one hour, two hours, three hours, and they would teach you how to pray. That was my introduction to Christianity. I would, I would go there, we would get on our knees, and we would pray for hours. The Holy Spirit would come, and, you know, we would experience the presence of God, and nobody wanted to leave. Sometimes our prayer groups would go for seven or eight hours, and we literally had to kick people out. It was such a presence of God, nobody wanted to leave. Nobody. So I would be there, and one month went by, two months went by, so these grandmas told me, you have to get up and preach. I said, preach? I don't know how to preach. Well, they say, you know, if you become a, became a Christian, and if you are a Christian, you need to learn how to preach. So they pushed me into preaching. My first sermon was, Jesus loves you. I cried like a baby and sat down. I said, preaching is not my calling. But the next week, they pushed me again. Now we have, you know, you know how it is. Now we teach seven methods, 25 steps, you know, 27, you know, uh, 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 directions, you know, how to preach, you know. And, but my introduction to preaching was get up and preach. Well, that's how I started to preach. After six months, they told me, you've been coming to church for six months. Shame on you. You have not planted a single church. I said, single church? They said, you need to go out in the village. So a couple of our friends, the gang members, we started to go from village to village and preach the gospel. In the first year of my conversion, we planted three churches. That was the introduction to Christianity. You know why? Because gospel works. You know, sometimes they would come against us, you know, kick us out of the villages. We were 16, 17, 18 years old. I don't know, you know, where we would get the boldness. This man, you know, would come, you know, you know, big man, you know, you know, get out of our village. We would put our finger at them and say, you get out. We are here to preach Jesus. We go from church to church. I don't know how many times, you know, I hear sermons about anointing. And it's beautiful. We need to be preaching about anointing. But this is not what the first church preached and prayed about. Do you know what they prayed about? Acts chapter 4, they said, give us boldness that we might preach. We have enough anointing. We don't have enough 
boldness. That was the prayer of the first church. Give us boldness, Lord. Give us boldness. When you stretch your hand out, give us boldness. I hope I'm not... Uh, going too fast or something, you know. <laughs> that was the prayer of the first church. Give us boldness. And that's what the Holy Spirit taught us. Give us boldness. I grew up downtown Tbilisi in a place called Italian Yard. If you come in, 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 in Tbilisi, Georgia, Sean knows it was built, you know, part of it was built in the 19th century by French and German and Czech architects. It's beautiful. European architecture. Well, ours was Italian yard. And under the Soviet times, every yard had a KGB agent assigned to the yard. So, so they could tell, you know, KGB what was going on. Well, ours was a woman. You know, her name was Mary. Mary was a very scary woman. She used to have a mustache. And she knew how to kick and cuss. Everyone was afraid of her. Everyone knew she represented KGB. We moved from that neighborhood. I became a Christian. One day I'm in my room. I'm on my knees praying. You know, I don't know. It was, was the second hour or the third hour of prayer. And I could hear very clearly Holy Spirit telling me, I want you to go to Mary and tell her that I love her. Immediately, I wanted to say, go, you know, get the behind me devil. You know, it's, it cannot be God, anyone but Mary. I cannot go and preach to Mary. One month, for one month, I was fighting God. I said, Lord, you know, Johnny is much better preacher than I am. Send him. After one month, I gave up. I went to Mary and I said, Lord, I'm going to knock three times on her door. If she does not open, I'm going to leave and your presence will come back to me. So I knocked once, twice, nobody. I knocked the, you know, I'm smiling. You know, I thought she was not home, but she opened the door. When she opened the door, it was a scary sight. It was not just a mustache, it was beard now. Mary, nobody liked Mary. Everyone thought, you know, she had a heart of a stone. And that's how we knew. I pointed my finger at her. I said, I have a message from God. You need to listen to me. She says, come on. I said, do you remember me? She says, of course I remember you. You are the troublemaker. I said, I have something to tell you. So we go inside. I sit down. And I preached my heart out to Mary. I said, Mary, God loves you. And I started from Genesis. You know, nothing was happening. You know, it was like, you know, she wasn't even listening. And I told her, you need to pray with me. So we started the prayer. And I said, repeat after me, Heavenly Father. And she says, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And her voice broke down. And in the halfway of prayer, she started to weep. At the end of the prayer, she was begging God to forgive her sins and come into her life. You know, after two weeks, Mary died. My father came home. He was late. We asked him, you know, where you were. He says, somebody called me from the old neighborhood. He says, and I went to a funeral. I said, funeral? Whose funeral? He says, Mary died. After two weeks. I went in my room and I prayed and I said, Lord, 
one day I'm going to be there. Somebody's going to tap on my shoulder and it's going to be Mary. I'm happy that I went. It was not easy. It required boldness. It required anointing of God. But something marvelous happens when you really meet God. Today, um, I want to talk to you a little bit from book of Genesis, chapter 28, because I don't want to leave you, you know, just what the story is. I want to give you a word today. And if you really take this word and really look at this chapter, Genesis 28, you will see how Jacob meets God for the first time in his life. You know, now in our generation, we have people that come to church, and there is nothing wrong with coming to church. Everyone is welcome to come to church. Amen? Amen? But now in our generation, people come to church, they meet pastor, they meet church, but they don't meet God. But it's not right. Jacob's father knew God. His grandfather knew God. He did not know God. So he is on his, on, on his journey, and he comes to a place called Luz. In the Hebrew language, word Luz means place of separation. And what I'm, taking, what I'm, what I'm preaching to you about, it, it, it's the truth, it's the Word of God, it's the reality of the Word of God. Precious church, we're not here because we wanted to be here. We are here because of one person, and his name is Jesus. We don't preach because we want to preach. We preach because he told us to preach. We don't sing because we want to sing. We sing because Bible says, sing unto the Lord. We don't preach about the healing because we want to preach about the healing and we're crazy people. We just, you know, started to speak about healing. No, we speak about healing because Jesus healed. So Christianity is centered around Jesus. He is the focus. He is the purpose. To him belongs the glory. To him belongs the honor. That's what we've come here together for. I have a daughter. She's 16. I never pushed religion on her. When Franklin Graham was preaching, I was with him. I was interpreting for him. And I, see, I saw my daughter and my wife. And I could see tears on Anna's eyes. She was crying when he was preaching and giving altar call. So after three days when Franklin Graham left, I was in the car with her. I looked at her and I said, I said, honey, do you know Jesus? And she started to cry. You know how girls are. Girls and mamas. I can't figure out my mama. She's happy she cries. She's sad she cries. That's how mamas are. That's why we guard her and protect her. And we have only one mama in life. Right? So I told her, do you know Jesus? And she looked at me, she says, I know Jesus. I said, how do you know? She says, when Franklin Graham was speaking, I prayed the sinner's prayer, and something happened to me. She says, I know Jesus lives in my heart. You know, from that day on, I don't have to tell her to pray. She is the one that comes in our room and says, let's pray before we go to sleep. I needed her to meet Jesus. 
and she did meet Jesus. So Jacob is on a journey. He comes to a place called Luz, place of separation, and this is my point number one. You know, Bob is a theologian, Bob McKay. He always judges my hermeneutics. He always judges my preaching. He says, you know, he always corrects me. You know, this was good, this was... So I'm going to preach my sermon today. He'll judge me, I know, you know, but <laughs> I'm still going to preach my sermon. So he comes to a place of lose, place of separation, and this is my point number one. If you want to meet, to meet God, you will have to come to the place of separation. There is no other way. Thank you for your amens. You will have to come to the place of separation. Jacob comes to the place of separation called lose. That's what the word lose means. Place of separation. And you remember, he renames that place and says, this is not going to be a place of separation. This is going to be house of God. And that's what happens in your life when you meet God. It's not going to be just a place of separation. It's going to become the house of God. You know, do you know when our houses, I'm going to preach, you know, the way I want to preach because tomorrow, you know, I go home, you know. So, do you know when our houses become houses of God? It's when we... When our houses become place of separation, when we say, you know, there are certain things that will not enter my house because my house is place of separation. And you know what's going to happen? God's going to show up in your house. Before your house becomes Bethel, it, be, it, it, it needs to become loose. So, Jacob comes to the place of separation. And he takes the stone and falls asleep. And he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees God. Right? He sees ladder, angels ascending and descending. And there was God. And God starts to speak to him. And he begins to tell him that he gives him actually promises. He says that I'm going to be with you. That's what happens when you come to the place of separation. God's going to show up and you're going to receive promises from him. And one of the first promises that, that you will receive will be, I shall be with you. In the 21st century churches, we tell people that, oh, you can live the way you want. God's going to be with you. I'm afraid it's not truth. I mean, I want to preach to you like that, but I will lie to you. I would be a liar not a preacher. Do you know biblically what the word magnify means? You cannot magnify God. How can you magnify someone who is bigger than anything? This is how Jewish rabbis interpret that. He says when you go outside, you take a leaf from the tree, put it under microscope, and you magnify the object, you begin to see things that you were not able to see before. And that's what the platform is for. Platform is a place where God needs to be magnified. You need to see God like you've never seen before. That's when he is magnified. That's when he is exalted. Amen? So, separation. And then the place becomes house of God. 
So he receives promises from God. And the next thing that happens, Bible says that he woke up from his dream. And that's what's going to happen to us. This is point number two if you're writing. The only way to wake up from the spiritual sleep is to meet God. I can be a Christian, but be in a spiritual sleep. That's why Bible says, wake up, oh you sleeper. Wake up. And the only way for us to wake up is to meet God. We come to the place of separation. We say no to some things. God shows up in our life and we begin to wake up. From our deep spiritual sleep. You know, if just imagine Pastor Sean is sleeping in one room. I'm sleeping in the next room. And, you know, and we think, you know, we have a revival. But, you know, do you know where, where, how, how a revival begins? One of us needs to wake up. And only then Sean can come and knock on my door and say, wake up. We've been sleeping. And that's how what happens, you know, in Lara churches in a lot of, in, 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 sometimes in our lives, you know, we preachers need to be honest too. You know, I hear, you know, I stand here and I preach, you know, and, and you might say, you know, wow, you know, you know, you know he, he preaches, you know, but, you know, we have ups and downs. One time I remember one of our church members told me, I want to be a stable Christian. I said, if you go to a hospital and look at the monitors of the heartbeat, the only stable people are dead people. If you're a Christian, you need to be alive. There will be ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. We have to be alive. We need to experience God, not only in the church, but outside of the church, when we are in our homes, in our families, our families need to become house of God. I hope I'm not boring you with my sermon. So we wake up from our spiritual sleep, right? And then Bible says that he rose up early morning. And anytime you see that sentence in the Bible, it usually means calling to prayer. And it's so individual in our lives, you know. It might be five minutes or ten minutes, but God is calling us. God is calling you. God is calling me. Find some time for me. I know you're busy. I know you have much to do, but find some time for me. Sometimes it might be just one verse that you read. Sometimes it might be a chapter a day. Sometimes it might be five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, or thirty minutes, but find time from God. Wake up and rise up. And the next point is this, and I'm going to try to end with this. The very stone that he used as a pillow, he turns that stone into an altar. And that's what, happens in our, that was, that's what happens in our lives when we experience God. We turn our pillows into altars. Something changes. We're not the same. And people around us that, you know, you know, 
that, you know, we, people that knew us, they see a difference. They ask, you know, what happened to you? Well, nothing, you know, not much. I just turned, you know, my pillow into an altar. I just turned, you know, the things that comforted me into altars. I lived for myself, but I have changed my mind to live for God. And something, something wonderful is going to happen to you when you decide to live for God. See, in life, you know, we're struggling, we're fighting for ourselves, we, wanna, we want to have better life, but Jesus said, seek kingdom of God and its righteousness, right? And everything else will be added to you. Jesus says, don't be on your own. I know your struggles. I know you have fights. I know you have difficulties. I know, you know, that some of us, you know, I was a mess. But Jesus is not afraid to show up in your difficult situations and tell you, give those things to me. Give those things to me. So how do we do it practically? You know, it's nice to preach, you know, give those things to Jesus. But, you know, there are practical steps. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 40, I believe, it says that they shall run and not grow weary, right? And they shall walk and not faint. You know, usually you walk first and then you run. But it's reversed. It says they shall run and then they walk. You know, it says about Enoch, and I will try to end with this. It says about Enoch, Enoch walked with God. But, you know, Sean, please help him. If Sean and I are walking together, and I got curious about this church, you continue to walk, Sean. You know, I stopped to look at the cross, and that's my life, you know. I wonder about what's on TV, what's going on here. Sean is walking spiritually. And one day, you know, I look at Sean, and he's walking. You know what I need to do? I need to run to catch up. And once I catch up, then we can continue to walk together. Thank you, Sean. Give him a hand. <laughs> the reality is that's what happens in a spiritual life. Sometimes, you know, we get so far behind what God is doing, what church is doing. So one day I wake up, you know, and I say, well, the Sean is, you know, far away. The church is moving. God is moving. And then that's the moment, you know, when I decide to run. And once I catch up, I can walk. And that's what some of us need to do spiritually. We need to begin to run. You know, we Christians, I got to be honest with you. I'm a, I was a street kid, you know. I don't, I don't mess around. I don't, you know, say, you know, the things. You know, some of us, I know the Christian walk. I know the Christian talk. I even know the Christian smile. I even know the Christian handshake. I can fool you. 
You look at me and you might say, you know, wow, you know, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. That, but deep inside, I could be asleep. But Christianity is such a wonderful, I can't even say religion. It's all about kingdom of God. It's about being honest to yourself, to God, to one another. And when there is honesty, there is unity, the presence of God comes, church becomes like a heaven, we can experience the presence of God, suddenly singing is wonderful, suddenly worship is so beautiful, suddenly people that I didn't like, you know, suddenly I like them. You know why? Because I realized I was asleep. And I realized I need to start running. And do you know how I run spiritually? I do a little more prayer. I do a little more reading. I do a little more fellowship with my brothers and sisters. Fellowship around the word. And that's spiritual running. And when you run and catch up, then you don't have to run anymore. It's as Enoch walked with God. Right? So where does it begin? It begins with Jesus. You know, today he is here and his presence is here through his Holy Spirit. And he speaks to us for only one reason. He wants our hearts and our lives. He wants to turn your life in something wonderful. Never believe a lie of an enemy that you, it's enough for you to be just a church goer. There is a ministry for you. Every one of us here is a minister for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. I don't care the age, gender, all of us are ministers for the gospel. Recently, I was in Washington, D.C. I know today I talked a lot about Franklin Graham, and I will end with this. It was a meeting for the persecuted Christians. Your wonderful Vice President Mike Pence was there. All these senators. I felt like an important person, you know. You know, they would introduce us. This is Senator so and so. I said, well, you know, who cares? You know, Vice President is here. <laughs> I heard the story there. Ravi Zacharias told the story. He said, you know, there was this certain man that died and went to heaven. And for three days, this man was very sad. And Peter meets with him and says, why are you sad? You know, you're in heaven. And this man said, you know, I died. Nobody cares about my story. Well, Peter said, you know, asked him, what happened to you? He says, I lived in New York. There was flood. Flood killed me. But nobody cares to hear my story. Peter said, I'm sorry. I'm going to go get everyone in heaven. They will come and listen to your story. 
So he comes to him and says, you know, that everyone is here. They want to hear your flood story. But you should know one thing, he says. Peter told this guy. There is a certain gentleman that is going to sit in the first row to listen to your flood story, and his name is Noah. He really wants to hear what kind of flood you went through that you're in heaven and you're not happy. What's the moral of the story? Sometimes, you know, it seems like our problem is the biggest problem, but it's not really. Sometimes we think, you know, our flood is the biggest flood, but it's not true. Enemy wants us to have pity parties about ourselves. Do you know what God wants in your life? God wants you to know, you to know, that you are more than a conqueror. God wants you to know that you are his child and he has given you everything you need for godliness. I remember my pity parties. Nobody likes me. Nobody understands me. And devil uses that, you know, to isolate you from the body of Christ. But we need to wake up and say, I'm not going to have pity parties. The one that lives in me is greater than in the world. And we can have a victory in Jesus' name. I don't know when was it last time, you know, you prayed in your house and said, this house belongs to you, Jesus. But I challenge you, when you go home, to say those words in your house, this house belongs to Jesus. These hands belong to Jesus. These eyes belong to Jesus. This tongue belongs to Jesus. These lips belong to Jesus. Because I'm a child of God. And when you do that, something wonderful will happen to you.